the way we welcome new students to our campus is actually the, the founder of Convoy of Hope is, is an alum of Evangel and they're based here in Springfield. So on Friday, when the students, new students move into the dorm, on Saturday morning, while a group of us are meeting with their parents to reassure them it's okay, you can leave them here, they're gonna be fine, you have a box of tissues. Um, what we do with the students is we give them a Convoy of Hope t-shirt and we send them out in the city to do service projects. So we say not only is service um, a core value of the institution, here's what it looks like lived out. This is Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm Chris Johnson. Today we begin a seven-part series on the work of Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri. And perhaps I should say, if you're from Missouri, I think it's Missouri, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. But even if you're not looking to head to school yourself, or if you don't have a child entering higher education, I think you'll be interested in our topic today, as well as the various topics that we'll cover in this seven-part series. And those include mental health, the pandemic, and Bible literacy. So quite a wide range of topics. If you're not familiar with Evangel, it's an accredited liberal arts university, has more than 70 academic programs, so very well established. And it is affiliated with the Assemblies of God, but it has a wide range of students from different Christian denominational backgrounds. And they, of course, have a strong commitment to academics with a desire to combine Christian faith with every aspect of life. And we are privileged today to have the president of Evangel University with us, Dr. Carol Taylor. She is actually the fourth president of the school, and she's been there since 2013. She is an alumna of Evangel and the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. She also holds a doctorate from Florida State, and we, of course, are sitting here in Lake Mary, Florida right now, so that's great. And she has spent her life in key leadership roles in not only Christian education, but also public and private education. Previous to her work with Evangel was the ninth president of Vanguard University in Costa Mesa, California, and she held that position from 2009 to 2013. Before that, she was even provost and vice president of academic affairs, and, and before that, she worked for Biola University, so she has lots and lots of experience and uh, brought all of that to her work at Evangel. She's also an ordained minister with the Assemblies of God. So welcome to Charisma Connection, Dr. Taylor. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you today. Well, I'm so glad to get a chance to get to know you and the work of Evangel. And I understand, first of all, that congratulations are in order, that you have completed more than 45 years of service in education, which is wonderful. And I'm sure you have many students and many colleagues who appreciate your work and just how you've poured into their lives over the years. Well, you, you hope that's the case. <laughs> yes, it, it's, been, it's been an honor to, to serve here and at other institutions. Yes, you have a wide range of experience, which is just terrific, and we only touched on part of it. 
But uh, today our topic is something that you are very familiar with yourself, and that is women in leadership and what you're doing at Evangel to promote that. But first of all, I want to say that the COVID pandemic has been quite the backdrop to your expected retirement or or tell us when you are going to retire. So actually, just in another week at the end of the semester, the original plan was um, last summer, and then COVID disrupted that as well as many other things. (laughs) It surely did. Well, we caught you just in time, it sounds like. Now, what would you say in the last nine months of 2020, what would you say has been the most significant lesson you've learned? Oh, my, there have been uh, so many. I, you know, I would say none, no one in, in higher education today has navigated what we are all navigating with COVID. Um, so you often hear the words unprecedented, unchartered. Um, and I think, I think what, what we've done is you've taken everything you've learned across a lifetime and you just put it on steroids. Hmm. Um, the other, the other is, I mean, we talk about the importance of flexibility, but the, if, if there has ever been a season or a time when you make your best plans and then you throw them out the window because everything has changed, that's the season we've been living in. In fact, I, I was thinking, in fact, I've often quoted um, President Eisenhower uh, when he talked about preparing for battle. He said, in preparing for battle, I've always found that plans are useless. But planning is indispensable. So you make plans knowing full well that tomorrow you may get new information, something else may happen, and you're, you're going to um, adjust those plans or throw them out altogether and, and develop a new plan. So, so we also live by the model, blessed are the flexible. And I have, I have often said um, this past, past spring semester and over the summer and even this fall, I'm almost convinced that that is, is a lost beatitude. <laughs> you know, blessed are the flexible. Um, and you, you learn to embrace that and just roll with whatever, whatever the day brings. Boy, that's so true. I have some mission background myself, and that is one thing that they tried to teach us. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Well, you also are the first woman to serve as the president of an Assemblies of God college, university, or seminary. And as I mentioned, well, first at Vanguard University is where you became the first woman president there, and now the first woman president at Evangel. So the Assemblies of God has long championed women in leadership roles and ministry, What words of encouragement would you offer young women who are exploring that kind of ministry call today? I I would say don't give up. Hmm. Um, Don't don't give up. Uh, You know, so while while the Assemblies of God has ordained women for, you know, historically, women, women were critical in the founding of the Assemblies of God. Uh, but but I've I've talked with enough women at the seminary who are in ministry and perhaps working on a, a master's degree or a D-men who who get discouraged because the the places where they feel called to serve um, may not be as welcoming to women even in the assemblies of God. And my encouragement to them is don't give up. The the other encouragement that I would have is you have and here's the word flexible again. You've got to be open 
to what may be a different journey in getting to the place where you will serve. So, so if, if you think you're going to follow some smooth, straight path, I will do this and then I will do that and I will progress in levels of leadership, it may not happen that way at all. And so I think being open to whatever opportunity is in front of you with, with the, the prayerful consideration, God, what are you asking me to do in this situation? Um, it, we believe, you know, God, God can, can get you where he needs to get you, but mm-hmm. it may not be in your timeline or in the way you would think. And, and we have lots of biblical examples of that, right? Yes. I mean, so Joseph had this beautiful dream. He, he had no idea what that dream would actually look like or that it would include slavery and, and imprisonment um, before he actually found himself uh, in a place where, you know, not only did his brothers bow down, but he actually saved his entire nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we need to hold, hold our dreams and our callings loosely and trust that the one who calls us has a way of writing the story he intends to write with our lives. But don't lose heart, don't give up, continue to prepare and be available, and and God will do what he intends to do with your life if it if you keep it surrendered to him. Yes. I think the journey often takes a lot of twists and turns, you know, whether you're a woman or a man. And oh, sure. yes, and you're right. There's so many things that are unexpected. And as you get a few years on you and you look back in the rearview mirror and you see, oh, that particular job helped me with the current job that I'm in. And it just kind of all uh, gets woven together into that beautiful tapestry you hear about. Right. I mean, and isn't it the case? It's a lot easier to make sense of the journey if you're looking back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. And, and eventually you see, oh, it, it did kind of all fit together. Much harder if you're in the middle of it. Yes. Or if you're trying to look from where you are, perhaps into something in the future. But, um, yeah. Well, Dr. Taylor, uh, people who know you well, I understand, know that you have a great passion for service, service to one another and to the church. So where did your sense of contribution develop as you went along in your journey? You know, that, um, that, so that's a, I think it's a hard question. Um, I don't know, and I don't know that anyone would point to a single moment in time, right? It, it, it's more of this accumulation of life experiences and watching others and, and being shaped over, over a lifetime. I mean, I was, I was, I was privileged to grow up in a Christian home and see people around me, in particular, my own parents, um, who were not ministers. My father was a businessman, mm-hmm. but he lived a very generous life with, with um, a commitment of being of service. If there, if there was a need and he could help meet the need, um, he was there. Mm-hmm. Never, never preached it, never really said, now, here's how you need to live. It, it, I just watched it in his life. And then there were others that, that influenced. I think a lot of it really began taking shape, actually, when I was an undergraduate student here at Evangel. Mm-hmm. And, and the challenge was, um, I, I remember being presented with the challenge of how to, how to hold your life 
and one image was as a, a blank legal contract and, and, and the page is, is blank. And the child is to say, if you were to hold that up and say, God, you get to fill in this empty page any way you want. And, and I'm signing my name while it is blank on the bottom with a commitment to say yes to whatever it is you would call me to do. And, you know, that's a lovely activity for an undergraduate student. <laughs> but then as life happens, the tendency is we begin writing in conditions, right? So, yeah, I'll do this so long as I get X, Y, Z. Um, I'll go there if it meets these conditions. And so I think that the challenge with with living a life with an, un, I often refer to it as an unqualified yes, is that we have to keep erasing the conditions that we're tempted to write in. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's something that, that develops over a lifetime. The other is, you know, at some point we realize that our best model for life as rich and wonderful as, as all of the biblical stories are, you know, from Genesis all the way to Re Revelation. But if we really want to know how to live well, there, there's really one life that we need to study and look at above all others, and that's the life of Christ himself. And and I often often think of um, uh, the, it's a very familiar verse in Matthew and, and I've been over the last several years particularly drawn to, to the, the way it's written in the message where, and these are red letter words, right? So these are, this is an invitation that we all have where, where Christ says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll rescue, recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then this invitation, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. But I love the invitation when he says, you want to know how to live a life of service and, and the most meaningful life of all? Watch how I do it. And, and we have we have these beautiful gospels that give us um, this window into how he lived and served. And, um, and I think if, if we keep watching him and learning from him and accepting that incredible invitation to get away with him and walk with him, then, then I think service is just a natural outgrowth of, of living close to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, part of your service has been in Christian higher education. And, you know, are there exciting things happening there? What is the future? And, and what are the bright spots in the future of Christian higher education? Oh, that's, I mean, that's a great question. I, you know, you, you often hear people talking about, you know, threats to Christian higher education, that we're living in a post-Christian world, and, and they can paint a fairly dire picture. Um, I'm actually encouraged every day on campus as I meet with students who are passionate about following Christ and pursuing their vocational calling as, as a way of living as his presence in the world. Um, I look at where our graduates go. I look at the fact that, um, I mean, in our, we, we've got an outstanding education department, for example, and before our students ever graduate, they've got job offers from all of the schools in the area here. And they're, they're, they're among the most desirable new teachers and, and often become 
at a, at a very high percentage rate teachers of the year. And in talking right? with, hmm. with the school superintendent, administrators, and this applies as well in, in, in the corporate sector um, where they love to hire our graduates. And I, and I think this, this is not just for Evangel, but for, for those schools who have remained focused on, on cultivating men and women who are committed to living their lives and living out their vocational callings as the presence of Christ in the world. And so how does that show up? They may not talk about it as, well, you know, we love that you're committed Christians. What they notice is, is first of all, that they're competent, yes. that they've been adequately prepared, either for graduate school or for, for immediate employment. The other is, and I hear this repeatedly when I ask the question, is they have a willingness to learn and a heart to serve. That's a pretty powerful combination. A willingness and, to learn and a heart to serve. Yes, it yeah. certainly is. Yeah, and, and I love hearing it because actually service is one of the core values of, of Evangel. And we have, in fact, the way we welcome new students to our campus is actually the, the founder of Convoy of Hope is, is an alum of Evangel, and they're based here in Springfield. So on Friday, when the students, new students move into the dorm, on Saturday morning, while a group of us are meeting with their parents to reassure them it's okay, you can leave them here, they're going to be fine, <laughs> have a box of tissues. Um, what we do with the students is we give them a Convoy of Hope t-shirt and we send them out in the city to do service projects. Hmm. So we say not only is service um, a core value of the institution, here's what it looks like lived out. And, and so I think... For Christian higher education, the bright spot is is that the world desperately needs what we produce. They they may not describe it as we would describe it. We would say it's students living living as the presence of Christ. Um, the world may not recognize it or or put that label on it, but um, but but there's a hunger there and a desire for. For whether it's employees or men and women that can serve with that kind of heart. And, and of course, then comes the opportunity, if you can serve and live that way, to be a winsome presence of Christ in the world. And um, so whether, whether that is, is in church-based ministry or on the mission field, or it's in the marketplace and, and corporate America, um, we, we are to live our lives as the fragrance and aroma of Christ in the world. And when you think about um, these desperate times and, and the contention and anger and, and the, the world desperately needs the peace of Christ. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what our schools produce, men and women who reflect that um, in the marketplace, and in the churches, and um, and it and I get inspired every day when I see what our students are doing, and the re, the respect that they have in the community, and uh, and say we need to keep going. Well, when I asked you this question about the bright spots of Christian higher education, I I never expected you to talk about the peace of Christ. 
bringing that to the community, but oh, don't we need it? And if they if it comes from the students, that's just wonderful. Well, you know, I mean, so it, it, if I could say a little more about that, it it's and I think as an especially as an undergraduate student, you know, we have no idea really what God wants to do with our lives. Mm-hmm. I mean. Even my own story, I was an elementary education major. If you would have asked me when I was a senior about to graduate, um, if I could imagine one day coming back and serving my alma mater as president, I would have howled. <laughs> I mean, at that time, I wasn't even thinking about graduate school. Okay, you know, I was just thinking about that first teaching job and never imagined the the journey that, that God had planned. Mm-hmm. And so one of the mm-hmm. things I ask uh, alumni especially those alumni that are further down the road um, uh, than, than, than our, our young, fresh graduates, did, did you ever imagine the journey God would take you on? And I'm tracking at 100% of, nope, never imagined it, or I knew it would be business, but I never imagined exactly you know, how that journey would go. And, and I, in fact, I just had a text message from, he was a classmate of mine, um, texted me this morning. Uh, he just recently retired, but he came. So do you have one moment for just a, a, a oh, quick story? Oh, absolutely, yes. Mm-hmm. But I think it it illustrates this uh, beautifully, actually, too. So so when I was a student at Evangel, there was a, um, he's actually Armenian, mm-hmm. but came from came from Lebanon. He was, um, his family had had fled the, the genocide in Turkey and and they had been they'd made their home in Beirut for some time and and he, they became friends with a missionary and the missionary said uh, Sam I think you need to go to college I think you should go to Evangel and then it was college not university mm-hmm. do you know where that is and Sam said no I've never heard of it he said well it's in it's in Missouri do you know where that is no so the missionary opened a map of the United States put it out on the table pointed he said it's right here in the middle Springfield Missouri right here in the middle. And Sam said, he looked at the map and he said, oh my goodness, it's only two inches from Chicago. I'll go there. <laughs> and and um, so that's literally how he arrived on campus, terrific soccer player, but he had a dream. And that was he wanted to study law. Now, eventually he did go on to law school and 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 had a particular interest, as, as, as perhaps wouldn't be surprising, in immigration law. And, and actually became our nation's first Arminian immigrant federal judge. How about that? And he actually shared that story with me in his chambers. And you want to guess what city he was in? Chicago. <laughs> yes. uh, so he did get to Chicago, but not quite the way he imagined. And I said, so Sam, did you ever imagine when you're kicking a soccer ball out on the field that this is where you would actually end up? And the opportunity that you would have to serve in such a significant place, and his response is, no, not at all. Another dear dear friend of mine, he actually graduated, um, he's actually older than me, but graduated a, a bit before me. And he was a pastor's kid, and he ran track, and I think was a business major, and joined the Navy after he graduated. Eventually did an MBA, and, and would 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 call his father, the pastor, before every opportunity for maybe advancement or, or another assignment. And his father would always have the, the same answer. His, his name was Vern Clark. And, and he said, well, Vern, you should pray about it and, and consider if the Lord hasn't opened a door that you should walk through. So eventually it was, you know, Dad, they've offered me a ship. 
captain of a ship. What, what do you think I should do? Well, son, you know, you need to pray. And, and then it was, wow, Dad, they've offered me a fleet. And then a day came when the call was, Dad, they've offered me the whole U.S. Navy. So Admiral Vern Clark um, became CNO, hmm. which meant he got a lot of the Marines with him as well. Um, but but I, I remember asking him, because he was actually in that role on 9-11. It was his section of the Pentagon that got hit that day. Oh, my. And I remember afterwards saying, so, Vern, you know, when you were running track and dating Connie and and had some dream, did you ever in your wildest imagination think that that dream would one day place you in a particular office on a particular day? Because if ever our nation needed a competent leader who also knew how to pray at that time, it, it it was it was you, and you know. Of course, he said, "Are you kidding? I never I never imagined even being captain of a ship, let alone CNO of the of the Navy." And and I think, you know, we just we can't see how what God may want to do with with dreams or callings that that we sense, and so I think. Um, you know, what, what I was challenged with way back as an undergraduate student myself still holds true today. And at some point, I think we begin to realize um, that in all of life, there's really only one question that really matters once we've committed our life to Christ. And that is, God, what are you asking to, me to do at this moment? And then when we get quiet enough to listen, then there's only one response that matters. And that is actually, you know, Mary's response. May it be to me as you've said. It, it's yes. Um, and so, you know, if if we can if we can learn to live that way, then life actually isn't all that complicated, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. As we yield ourselves to the sovereignty of God, He works it yeah. all out. Yeah. And and we don't have to understand it. Exactly. We don't have to fret about it. Yes. Yeah. I, I often tell students, you know, you can relax. You don't have to worry. Your calling will find you. Mm, <laughs> right? Very good. Dr. Taylor, your life is full of lots of accomplishments, great and small. So what do you consider one of your greatest accomplishments and how can you encourage others by sharing that with us? Oh, um, so that, that's a hard one. You know, I, I often think we think of great accomplishments as singular moments. You know, the football team wins a championship and they all get rings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get some recognition, uh, you know, whether it's the Orange County you know, Woman of the Year business leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think of those moments and someone hands you something, you stick on a wall and say, now there's my accomplishment. But I've come to think very differently of accomplishments. And rather than a singular moment, a singular event, it's more, it's much more of a tapestry where it's all of the investment that leads up to that moment. It, it, it's everything that happens that results in, in um, 
some achievement or a breakthrough. And, and I, I actually wonder if, in fact, our greatest accomplishments, we, don't, we won't even know what they are until we reach heaven. So I'm, sure. I, I'm often surprised when um, an alum or a student reminds me of a conversation that, you know, I have to think hard to remember. And, and somehow that conversation took place at, at a pivotal moment in their life and changed the course of their life. And had they not shared that, I would have missed it altogether. So who's to say what, what the greatest moment is? Um, because we, we don't have the perspective of eternity yet. So, um, so I, I've often puzzled and thought, you know, we might be surprised when we reach heaven. And what we thought were the greatest accomplishments really didn't amount to anything. Hmm. And then we see people who are in heaven because somehow we encourage them. And there'll be a very different picture of what greatness looks like. Um, yes, God turns these things on their heads, <laughs> you might say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in fact, there was, so I had the privilege of um of caring for both of my parents at end of life. Mm-hmm. And, and my father, you know, I mentioned earlier, my father was a businessman, but it, at some point I came to realize he was a businessman with the heart of an evangelist. He loved sharing his faith and he was, he was retired. You know, I, I was, uh, this was when I was at Biola, they came and joined me in California. Actually, we shared a home together. And, um, and so his 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 he was no longer teaching Sunday school or being a deacon of a church or or those places of service he had in a church, and so his his ministry, if you will, looked very different. And and he made beautiful inlaid crosses in the garage. And being in Southern California, you can pretty much work with the garage door up most of the year. We lived on this cul-de-sac. It was a very diverse, ethnically diverse community. And, and over time, every one of our neighbors had one of his beautiful inlaid crosses just as a gift. He would make them and give them away. Hmm. And God had given him such a burden for our neighbors. He kept, and he kept a prayer list. He would ask them all the time, how can I pray for you? And, and so now they've been there 10 years. And it's dad's last month. He had a heart condition. So we, we knew that his, his time was limited. And, and thankfully... He was not in a lot of pain, and he was able to be home during that time. Um, but we were talking one day, and he was saying, you know, we only had one neighbor, a Japanese neighbor, who had ever come to church. And, you know, for 10 years, every Easter, every Christmas, he would invite them. He had shared his faith with each of them. And it wasn't until it was Palm Sunday, and he's now in a coma in a hospice room in a hospital, and our Korean neighbor comes in and says, and, and, and we said to him, you know, you can sit and, and just say whatever you want to say with dad. He won't be able to respond, but if there's something you want to say, go ahead. Well, our neighbor sat down and he said, Mr. Taylor, I want you to know 15 of your neighbors went to church today to honor you. Hmm. You've been asking us to go all, all this time, and we went today to honor you. And he said, and I, I made a decision that I'm going to keep going for my family. The next morning, my father passed. And it was it was a year later that I then came to Evangel, but stayed in touch with that neighbor. He did keep going to church. He and his family were baptized and became very involved, began hosting a small group in his home. 
And a year later, so this is two years after my father dies, I get a call and he says, Carol, I'm going to talk about your dad at church this weekend. Hmm. Well, the minister was, was preaching on the power of one. And he put up a picture of a World War II veteran who just said, you know, this man loved his neighbors for 10 years. And today, this section of the church is here because of him. So there were 50 people in the church two years after my father died that were there because of 10 years of faithfully praying for and loving our neighbors. And I, I imagine dad looking down from heaven just, just thrilled. But he didn't see it here. And, you know, some would say, would look at his life and say, now, here was your greatest accomplishment. Here was your greatest accomplishment, you know, awards in business or whatever. I'm, I'm thinking if you were to, if I could sit down with dad today and I'd say, so dad, what's your greatest accomplishment? He would start naming those people. Hmm. Right. And, and, but he never saw it here. So I, I, um, I, I don't know that, that. It, it's all that worthwhile to uh, keep a long list of, of what the world looks at as accomplishments um, as much as it is, did we love Jesus every day? Did we do our best to live as his presence in the world? And we leave, we leave the impact of that to him. Well, your dad gave you quite an example there. That's a, a phenomenal story. Yeah. He, he was he was a pretty amazing man, not famous, but amazing. Yes. Hmm. Well, Dr. Carol Taylor, our time is up, unfortunately, but we have really thought through some deep theological things in this uh, episode on women in leadership. But it's exciting what's happening at Evangel University and in the Assemblies of God. It's exciting to look back on your career, and we certainly are so pleased that you have a passion for service uh, to the Lord and have just helped all these students through the years. We congratulate you on your upcoming retirement, too. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you, and um, you, have, you have a fun, uh, fun job of collecting stories. Yes, I do. That's for yes. sure. Well, we want to point people to your website. Would you share that with us? Sure. Um, it's very easy. www.evangel.edu. Okay. E-V-A-N-G-E-L, evangel.edu. And of course, you know, from if you know biblical Greek, it, it, is, it actually means good news. Right. Mm -hmm. So we also say we're the Good News University. <laughs> I love it. What a great name for a school. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dr. Carol Taylor, for joining us here on Charisma Connection. It's been our delight. And we are kicking off our seven-part series on Evangel and the good things happening there. So thank you once again for being with us on the show today. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. I'm Chris Johnson. You've been listening to Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. Thanks for listening today, and be sure to check out cpnshows.com. That stands for Charisma Podcast Network, cpnshows.com. God bless you.
This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible. 